It is a beautiful, warm, sunny afternoon on the west coast of Florida here. The beaches are white, the water is bluish green, the sky is beautiful. It is a wonderful day to be alive and be on your way to heaven today. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in to The Soul Trap. We're glad to have you listening. Make sure to check us out on Facebook. You can reach us there, see some of the news articles we put up, shows, messages. You can also reach us at Pastor Tillis at suncoastbaptistchurch.org, or you can follow Joel Tillis on Twitter. You know, there's so much mess going on in the world today that you can't help but every once in a while just look up and say like the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. You know, it's... um. I'm ready for him to come when he's ready to come. And I'm not trying to shirk my duties as a Christian now. It's just there's so much garbage going on that you can't help but look up every once in a while into the beautiful night sky and and long to see the face of the Lord on the other side of those stars, those planets, those whatever we may call them. Since the beginning of time, man has always been fascinated by the night sky, the sky itself, the stars, the planets, the wanderers up there. And from the beginning of time, man has always professed himself to be wise. And yet, in professing ourselves to be wise, the Bible says we become fools. How interesting it is to me lately to see science having to eat some of its words. Certainly, yes, without a doubt, 100% Big Bang Theory was correct. Oops, no, we could be wrong about that. Absolutely, 100% the earth is cooling. Nope, we're wrong about that. It's heating. Nope, we're wrong about that. It's something changing. We don't know. They always make these big grand statements. And yet the truth of the matter is science, because it is not pure science for the most part, because it is based upon a humanistic, prideful standpoint, quite frankly, is wrong. Now, if you're a Bible believer, you have to understand that that is the standpoint. That is the framework from which all truth is derived from. What you believe about God, what you believe about man, truthfully, in a sense, what you believe about the revelation of God is going to dictate your ability to actually have sense. Scripture says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Another beautiful example that we're going to talk about today is the number of planets in our solar system. Since the time that I can remember, we were told that there were nine. And then we were told, oops, Pluto doesn't really count. And then we're told, no, they do count. It does count. And then we're told, well, kind of it counts. And then nobody knows what's going on. And the fact of the matter is the whole number of nine in our solar system may or may not even be true. The concept of the idea that we have somehow mapped out our solar system is something that is taken for granted, assumed to be a reality, as if it's like some sort of Rand McNally map that you can pull off the 7-Eleven rack and go, oh, yeah, here's how I get around the solar system. The truth is we don't know what is out there. And more and more and more science, astronomy, was having to admit that. In a recent CNN article, astronomers have found at least seven Earth-sized planets orbiting the same star 40 light years away, according to a study published Wednesday in the journal uh, Nature. The findings were also announced at a news conference at NASA headquarters in Washington. This discovery outside of our solar system is rare because the planets have the winning combination of being similar to size in size to Earth and being all temperate, meaning they could have water on their surface and potentially support life. One of the scientists said, this is the first time that so many planets of this kind are found around the same star, said Michel Guillon, lead study author and astronomer at the University of Liege in Belgium. 
The seven exoplanets were all found in tight formation around the ultra-cool dwarf star called TRAPPIST-1. Estimates of their mass also indicate that they are rocky planets rather than being gaseous like Jupiter. Three planets are in the habitable zone of the star known as TRAPPIST-1 E, F, and G, and may even have oceans on the surface. A bumper crop of Earth-sized planets huddled around an ultra-cool red dwarf. Yet they could still be little more than chunks of rock blasted by radiation or cloud-covered worlds as broiling hot as Venus. Or they could harbor exotic life forms thriving under skies of a ruddy twilight. It's interesting that scientists are pondering the possibility after the week's announcement, the discovery of seven worlds orbiting a small, cool star some 40 light years away. All of them supposedly in the ballpark of our home planet in terms of their heft, size, mass. Three of the planets reside in what they call the TRAPPIST-1 habitable, habitable zone. And all seven are early ambassadors of a new generation of planet hunting targets. It's fascinating, as I said a moment ago, that scientific statements carry almost godlike weight as fin in finality. Although they have been wrong and proven wrong time and time and time again, often incomplete and, and even more so blatantly wrong, and yet very few people call them on the carpet. The scientific humanist community has always and often been in the business of challenging God, but they rarely, if ever, are willing to turn the cult of the critical back upon themselves. To do so would unveil centuries of failures, lies, and outright insanity. But when science makes declarative statements, it seems to carry so much weight that often inferences are drawn from the statement whether or not the intention was meant to be that way or not. This is especially true when it comes to declarations about our solar system, the nature of space, the ether in intraspace, the number of plant planets, what constitutes a planet, time, speed, light, issues, geocentricity, heliocentricity, or the fact of the earth being a plane according to the Bible, possibly. But all one has to do is to take a look at being and recognize the vastness of space, even with our own geocentric geosystem, to realize that to make such claims that, that they seem to know so much when in fact they really don't. They cannot even guarantee that there are nine planets. Are there more? Nobody knows. Or even to allow such a claim, one has to infer that they may not be as knowledgeable as they are. There may be only nine planets, but to assert it with dogma and bravado so often put forward is in fact to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. The fact is there may be other planets in our solar system that we are simply not aware of. And that brings us to a curious case of Planet X or Planet Nibiru. A subject we have talked about before. Planet Nibiru has become, or Planet X has become, sort of a vogue discussion point in the paranormal community, the para-research, the para-astronomical uh, type of crowd. But the truth of the matter is, there's strong evidence that there might be another planet out there. What is Planet Nibiru? Nemesis is what some call it. Believers in Planet X have mistaken it for Nemesis, a hypothetical star that was first proposed by, uh, by physicist Richard Moeller, an undetected companion to the sun, either a dim red dwarf or a brown dwarf lying in an elliptical 26-million-year uh, orbit. Uh, some people say that it's simply that dwarf sun. And there's interesting because there are pictures that circulate there on the Internet that you can see in the sky of what appears to be two suns. Some call it the Sedna or the Eris. Still others confuse Nibiru with Sedna or Eris. 
These are what are called trans-Neptunian objects discovered by Mike Brown in 2003 and 2005. Despite having been described as the 10th planet in NASA's press release, Eris is now classified as a dwarf planet, only slightly more massive than Pluto. Eris has, well determined, has a well-determined orbit that never takes it closer than 5.5 billion kilometers from the Earth. Sedna is slightly smaller than Pluto and never comes close to the Earth than 11.4 billion. But again, this stretches our known solar system with Eris and Sedna. Then there is TK, the, the name proposed by John Matisse and Daniel Whitmire of the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. They discovered an object that they believe to be influencing orbits of comets in the Oort cloud. What is in that cloud? That's a fascinating study in and of itself because the Bible says that when Christ comes in the Revelation, he will come with, you guessed it, clouds. Every eye shall see him. Others have tied Nibiru with Comet Elenin, a long-period comet discovered by Russian astronomer Leonid Elenin on December 10, 2010. Sizes of the comets are difficult to determine without close observation, but this comet is likely to be less than 10 kilometers in diameter. Elenin himself estimates that the comet nucleus is roughly 3 to 4 kilometers in diameter. This would make it millions of times smaller than the supposed Nibiru. So it doesn't make sense that planet Nibiru would be simply a comet. Now in March 2014, astronomers Chad Trujillo and Scott Shepard published a paper in Nature. And in it they suggested that the clustering of the arguments uh, of a distant trans-Neptunian object suggests the existence of large trans-Neptunian planet. In other words, what they were saying was, if there's some small guys out there, there might be some big boys out there. In 2016, Mike Brown announced that they had corroborated with these two, Trujillo and Shepard's findings, and that they believed the planet, which they dubbed Planet 9, would have a mass roughly 10 times that of Earth and a semi-major axis of approximately 415 blah blah blah. Believers in Nibiru and the Nibiru cataclysmic, uh, cataclysm immediately argued that this constituted evidence for their claims. In other words, they said that when Brown found this subject, this, this supposed star out there or planet in 2016, that this was Nibiru. However, astronomers have pointed out that this planet, if it exists, would have an approach to the sun roughly 30 billion kilometers away. In other words, they were saying it can't be planet Nibiru. So what exactly is planet Nibiru? And is it even possibly within the realm of reality as we know it? Is there a planet X? Or is it just more of the nonsense people were looking for something that is not there? Well, even though Nibiru has picked up traction in the para-community, paranormal community, the story of Nibiru goes far, far further back. It goes all the way back to Sumerian texts. There was a description that our supposed creators came from a yet discovered or yet undiscovered planet that enters our solar system every 3,600 years. These beings from the as yet undiscovered planet Nibiru, according to Sumerian texts, came to our planet because theirs was dying. They needed certain resources that our planet had, one of which was gold. Now let me stop right here and say it has always been a fascinating thing to me how and why gold is so powerful to the human mind. 
Why isn't it copper coins? What is so precious about gold? Some rabbis believe in the Kabbalah and other areas that gold was actually something that was in our DNA, in the actual skin presentation of how the original humans looked, which gave them that glisten or that quote-unquote Shekinah glory of God. Regardless of the fact, whatever the facts are, gold has played a very intricate and profound role, not only in our reality, but in the experience and the reality that God shows us even in glimpses in heaven. So these gods, these beings came looking for resources in our land, supposedly, according to the Sumerian text, one of the resources being gold. Now, there are varied and ancient and sacred texts in many different anthropological groups that speak of this place, planet, and a race of beings that came to earth from there. The stories and particulars may be different and varied, but there is enough of a constant throughout ancient texts to cause one to ponder and to wonder, is there another place out there? Now, I'm not saying that we would see little green men. I'm not saying that there's a planet in Reticulon 5 where you have these little green guys running around or, or green women like Star Trek or that kind of thing like that. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying do angels, do spiritual beings, in our case as Bible believers, the powers of darkness, do they have an abode, a planet? If Satan is the prince of the powers of the air, if he still has access to the heavens, is there a planet? Is there a space? Is there a location, for lack of a better word? Now, you have to understand that there is no doubt whatsoever among the ancient human record that the further back you go, almost all anthropological people speak of beings coming down from the stars. Humanism, humans looking up. Elements in our UFO community look up. It is everyone looking up. Even Bible believers are told to be looking, in a sense, being reverent, but still we are looking for an extraterrestrial somebody who is not from this earth coming to this earth. From Genesis 6 to Revelation 19, it is there in the text. People add some to it, people take away, but it is still there. Now, not scripture, yet sacred text to them. The Sumerian text said that they were known as the Nephilim, the Anunnaki, the star people, and that they are the ones that had colonized earth. Now, of course, we take that with a grain of salt because we understand, according to our scriptures, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But the theory is still there. The, the I should say the seed thought is still there that these Anunnaki, these star people coming from somewhere, where were they coming from? If they do not exist in the abode of heaven anymore because they've been cast out, where then do they exist? Do they have a reality or are they like some vague Jacob Marley spirit shackled in chains floating, chains floating through the ethereal of space? Zachariah Stitchin, the infamous and famous Zachariah Stitchin, has done some of the most exhaustive writing on the subject. And though as a Bible believer, I do not believe in his conclusions there are some very interesting points and similarities in his research to that of Genesis chapter number 6 and before. It has been hypothesized by ancient interpretations and texts that this planet of the gods, the home of the alien race, was Nibiru. That the Nibiru atmosphere was eroding. Sound familiar? An atmosphere eroding? They came to earth in order to mine minerals, gold, to help repair their atmosphere. It makes you wonder what's going on in our atmosphere. I had a listener to the Soul Trap recently just send me pictures. Have you, do you remember when you were growing up and you never saw clouds like you see today? 
You never saw those long, thin lines of clouds that hazed the day up. You never saw those long, thin chemtrails. I know, I know, I know, I know that there's, an, there's a difference in contrails and chemtrails, and maybe we'll get into that. But isn't it interesting how that the ancient writings of these texts about these gods seem to mirror things going on today? Problems with their atmosphere, supposed problems with ours. Mining for gold, trying to repair the atmosphere, we're trying to repair the atmosphere today. We know, we know that there are things going on in our atmosphere. Again, gold played a very specific role for them. And for some reason, it was necessary for them, which as we have already stated, is an interesting point because gold is specifically mentioned in the early text of Genesis. And one has to ask why gold has always had such a special place in the heart of man. In regards to alien astronauts from Nibiru, some theorize this is why the pyramids appear in Egypt, far beyond the known technology of man at the time. The pyramids, some believe, are portals, dimensional portals, or possibly even material portals through which harvested material could be sent back, all made possible by an alter-dimensional technology not known to us post-flood. Others have simply suggested that, look, it was simply a memorial to a pre-flood time to a higher technological advanced time. So the question is, is there a planet or a star out there hidden from our side or being hidden from our side? There are some who claim to have captured brief exposures of the planet star. You can look on YouTube and see the pictures. There's an image that I'm looking at right now on my computer in 2002, which supposes to show Nibiru almost side by side with our sun. In fact, there are those that believe that they have substantial, that some of these substantial upticks in our earthquakes, tsunamis, ecological conditions, and chaos, and possibly even the sky trumpet phenomenon, is a result of the gravitational and spatial disturbance being caused by the entrance of Nibiru back into a closer connection with Earth. It has been reported by believers and followers of the planet Nibiru discovery that in 2002, the 12th planet of Nibiru entered into our solar system. After entering in in 2002, Nibiru went on to influence the orbits of the planets in our system, changing their axes and poles along the way. One report states the following, quote, Nibiru has passed close enough to Earth that it influenced our oceans for several years, eventually leading to devastating tsunamis, uh, volcanoes around the world, and the Earth's axis, which slowly moves, thus altering the position of the physical magnetic poles. Which is very interesting because when you read, I believe it's over in Isaiah, it talks about the Earth reeling to and fro like a drunkard. Initially, the planet's orbit came closer to the Earth's south pole and the sun and was not visible from the Earth. But in late 2012, Nibiru's oblique orbit, which was 35 relative to the solar equator plane, proved to be quite visible. And many pictures and videos were posted online questioning this new quote-unquote star in our sky. Now you say that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. But why? Why would it be crazy talk? Because you're told something by science? Because you're told something so dogmatically by science, as if they know every square inch of our solar system, as if they know for certain that there was a Big Bang, as if they know for sure that it's healthiest and best to bleed people with leeches. Do you get the point that we're going at here? It is interesting, to say the least, to think that there might be another planet. As I said, it is interesting, to say the least. Yet no one in the mainstream media asks the questions. They don't want to know. It would disturb their world 
to think that their world is not how they have been told that it is. But beyond that, they don't even accept or give credence to the possibility of something more. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons why is because science is fundamentally based on a religion. I'm not saying that all science in the history of mankind has been bad. I'm just saying about 99.9% of it has been bad because it is based on a religion, a humanist religion. Now, granted, we've been blessed with some of the splash over. I'm glad that we have ACs. I'm glad that we've got Henry Ford making cars. I'm glad of some of the technological advances we have. The iPad that my wife is holding playing games for two and a half hours. All of that kind of stuff is fun and wonderful. But the truth of the matter is science is fundamentally based on a religion in our modern day that is a religion of humanism. And here's where some of what we believe comes quite frankly, into direct contact with the conspiracy side. The U.S. government has been suggested by some, has required that NASA deny the existence of Planet X, of Nibiru, in order not to cause widespread panic throughout the world. Now, I really don't think that it would cause such widespread panic, and I think that's sort of a cheap answer. But it would definitely alter our view of the solar system and undermine the godlike finality of modern science. The truth of the matter is... It would change the way we see things if we saw things through the lens of the pursuit of truth and not the control of truth that science has fostered upon us. NASA has, in fact, prepared a simulation that projected the orbit of Nibiru. They turned the simulation into a video and released it on the Internet. Those who have seen it say that the simulation done by NASA computers presented visually not only the displacement of Nibiru in its orbit, but also the orbits of all the planets of the solar system. This NASA video with its orbit still exists and can be seen on the web with just a little amount of research. Proponents of Nibiru were not thrilled at all with the simulation video, though. They claimed that the goal of the video was to confuse everyone with the false orbit path of Nibiru. Planet X researchers are still fighting the battle to get people to believe that there may be this planet out there. They have compiled information upon information. They believe that Nibiru is a red or brown dwarf star that carries along with it seven planets orbiting around each other. Pretty interesting that term seven. I think we started out with that. A minor solar system, some believe. Nibiru is close to five times larger than the size of Jupiter. So by turn, it is 6,500 times larger than the Earth. Nibiru's true orbit is around our sun every 3,600 years, but the exact years are cloudy. 3,600 times two would give you 7,200 what is interesting is that when you look at this through the lens of Scripture, there are some interesting points. With the gigantic size that Nibiru has, it has very strong gravitational pull and its influences and its influence on our ocean and magnetic fields. On this return, Nibiru will come from the north pole of the sun and earth, so it will be widely seen in the northern hemisphere. Now, what's interesting is that north, heaven, is spatially north, and it is from the spatial direction of north that Christ will come. Secondly, it's very interesting that Nibiru seems to have a generally speaking 3,000-year cycle. And we know that when Christ returns, there will be signs in the heaven. If you look at the timeline, taking in count a 1,000-year millennial reign, you have 4,000 years roughly from Adam to Christ, 2,000 years from Christ roughly to his return, plus a 1,000-year millennial reign. The question is, could Nibiru, could this planet play a role in the coming of the Lord? There is for certain a strong connection between the possibility of planet X, so to say, 
and the occult world. And that in and of itself is something that is very, very interesting to follow. One writer has said the following, Freemasonry and the occult world have long awaited the arrival of Planet X. The occultists in their secret doctrine teach that the ancients once worshipped gods and deities, mighty men of renown who came to earth from the heavens, from a planet star called Sirius. Now, whether or not there is a planet, time will tell. I don't know if it's close. I don't know if it's far away, but I think it's worth the investigation. I think it's worth keeping your mind open. The truth of the matter is planet X may truly be out there somewhere in the darkness. And as the old saying goes, if you're looking for the home, for the location, for the current throne of the powers of darkness, X might just mark the spot.